0: Lord, you made me, and you know me, and you know that patience is a virtue I do not have and am in desperate need of. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my strength, my Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, patience, <laughs> I don't have it, I don't come close to having it. I'm terribly impatient, if you don't believe me, let me drive you someplace. Uh, I seriously do, I, I, have, I have the stickers, the St. Mary of the Angels and the preschool sticker on the back of my car, and that's the only thing that keeps me driving in any way like a decent person. Uh, I don't have patience. And I need it. And, and really, honestly, don't pray for patience. Have you ever heard that? Because, you know, if you pray for patience, God will give it to you. And he'll usually give it to you in the method of, let me give you something that's going to test and try and train your patience. My stepmother jokes that she prayed for patience and God gave her me. <laughs> I remember uh, when I was a kid, There was a a very special time. Uh, If you don't know this, the word sacred actually means something set apart for a special purpose, a special reason. So like growing up in my house, we had a bowl that was sacred and that it was the bowl that we used for mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. It was the only use for that bowl. If we had that bowl, it's Thanksgiving mashed potatoes. It's sacred, set aside for that purpose. We have a lot of sacred items in the church we have items that are used for nothing else than one specific very special reason that's why they're sacred there's also times that are sacred times coming here to worship this is a time set aside to step away from the world and to stop and to just sit with each other with god it's a sacred time i remember as a child Uh, There were two times of the year that were really the most sacred times of the year possible. One of them was Christmas. Couldn't wait for Christmas. As soon as the school year started, it was basically countdown to Christmas time. Because that was a time where there wasn't school, the weather was a little bit cooler and nice, I'd get to spend time with my friends and family, I'd get to sleep in, watch TV, and presents were on their way. I liked Christmas. But as soon as christmas was over i would reset the clock for the next sacred time summer vacation as a kid summer vacation was an extremely sacred time and there was one particular week of the year that was more so than other growing up my family had a tradition and the tradition was that all of my mom's brothers and her sister and the cousins and my grandparents, we would all get together for one week, maybe two weeks some years, and have a vacation uh, together in a very far away exotic beach known as New Smyrna. (laughs) We would pack the car with everything because New Smyrna is so far away, there was no way if you forgot something you could drive back to get it. And we would get in the car and my sister and I, and sisters and I, in the back seat, mom driving, uh, Bill, my stepdad, in the passenger seat, or whatever, maybe he's driving, but either way, uh, we'd sit in the back, and we'd get ready for this tediously long and boring journey all the way to where we just couldn't wait to get to. So excited to get there, because once we get there, all is well. And in order to get there, now we've got to suffer through the car ride. What's interesting is... As a kid, that drive really felt like it took all day. Nowadays, I'll happily drive out to New Smyrna for lunch and come back. Hey, you want to go get some wings? Let's go to Merck's out in New Smyrna. Okay, good times. But when you're a kid, man, that time just takes forever. And I remember uh, there was a midway point There was a time where, and and we didn't know the names of anything, we didn't know the name of the bridge or the road or the river, but I remember at one point we went on a bridge over some water, and if we looked past the trees to the left, we would see sticking up three smokestacks that were red and white striped. And we were told by mom that that was kind of almost the halfway point. So once we got to those smokestacks, we knew we were almost halfway there. We would look for those, and we'd be excited every single year to see those smokestacks. Yes, we're almost there. We're halfway, almost. Kind of like they were just a sign along the way that would tell us. And then a few years ago, they knocked the smokestacks down, and I get lost, and I have no (laughs) idea where I'm going. Uh, but, But either way, they would help us. They would help us to know that we were getting closer. Now, I'm sure you guys have all, at some point in time, heard the question that inevitably was going to come from the back seat, sadly, from my mouth. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We all ask that, and kids in the back seat are going to ask that question, are we there yet? You could be driving to the corner store, and they're gonna ask that question. And, and mom would have to answer, of course, No, we're not there yet. Very honest, very truthful, always gave the right answer. No, we're not there yet. But look over there. There's the smokestacks. We're getting closer. It's okay. I had no patience. I felt like having to sit in the back of that car. I was suffering with boredom. And, and, and knowing there's an excitement of something else to come, but it just isn't here yet, and I, I can't deal with that. This is terrible. This is tedious. This is true pain. But, of course, I've grown up, and I've realized that drive isn't all that long. It's not that far, and I can look back on it, and I can realize that. I can recognize that. But something else I've also learned is the horrifying pain and suffering that I felt sitting in the back of that car seat is nothing compared to the pain and suffering that we find in this lifetime. Not even close. I remember as a young child being bullied pretty regularly. Uh, Even with my ginormous size, I'm a, a huge teddy bear and an easy target and my heart was broken on several occasions by people who I thought might be my friends from things they said to me. I've had people who I loved who got ill and passed away, some of them older and it made sense. Some of them not old at all and it confused me. I've watched as people that I've loved and cared about have suffered truly emotional, truly physical, truly spiritual downfalls in their lives. And I realized that this pain and suffering that I felt in the car was nothing. One of the biggest uh, questions people have for God, or one of the biggest reasons they might or might not believe in God, is because of suffering. You you have this thought, God, you're all-powerful. You're all good. How can you be all powerful and all good and yet there is still suffering? How is that possible? You know what? I'm not going to believe in you or I'm not going to trust in you because if you were truly a good and righteous God, this would not be the case. We would not have to suffer. I would ask my mom questions and my mom would give me an honest answer. Now, from time to time, I would ask my stepdad questions, and if he didn't know the answer, he'd just make something up. <laughs> and sometimes it was good, and, and I had—I that, think that's and maybe that's a man thing to do. I do that too. And there have been times in my life where I was right and I didn't know it, and I was really proud. I'd look it up later and go, "Oh, I made it up correctly." But, but we do that. Where somebody asks us a question and, and we either want to know the answer or we want to be impressed or any number of things and we just make up an answer and I think there's been a problem uh, because with the question of suffering, we want that answer. So we will try to find that answer. And there's a lot of really good guesses for what that answer is. And one of them might even be correct. But well, I can tell you, the most honest answer I can possibly give you, if you ask me why there is suffering in this world, the most honest answer I can say is this. I don't know. I don't. I have no idea, truthfully, why we have to deal with this pain, why we have to deal with this suffering, and how they can exist while God is all good and all great and all powerful and loves us. But here's what I do know. My mom was not just sitting at the beach waiting for me to show up. It's not like she magically just appeared there and I had to suffer through the journey, through the car ride, alone. She was in the car with me. In fact, driving the car. The difference is she had to deal with my nagging. She had that little extra bit of something. And she did it as lovingly as she can. Okay, you're frustrated. Okay, you're angry. Okay, you're bored. You're tired or any number of things. Look, there's a smokestack. See that sign beyond those trees? They let you know that we're on our way. And we're going to get there. And I'm in this car with you. I don't know why we suffer. But what I know is God is not oblivious to it. God is not far away in a heavenly realm watching us suffer and knowing nothing about it. Because God came to this earth as Christ, as Jesus, in the form of humanity. And he learned and experienced everything you can about suffering. He learned what it's like to have a friend betray you. He learned what it's like to have another friend deny you. He learned what it's like to be nailed to a cross after being mocked, spat upon, and beaten. And he learned what it's like while being nailed to a cross to look down at his mother's crying eyes. The God that we know has suffered with us. He's in the car with us. And he has experienced suffering as great as any one of us could What that lets me know is, I can't tell you the reason. I can't tell you why we suffer. But we do. And he did with us. Which means there must be a reason. And the answer is this. We're not there yet. We're still on the road. He's given us little signs to see, to let us know that we're on the road. But we're not there yet. In our scripture, if you go to our Old Testament lesson, in the wilderness, the dry land, the void, the vacant, the empty land, will be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Springs will come into the wilderness. Streams will flow from the arid, dry desert. He is telling us that good things are going to come. But we're not there yet. So John the Baptist asks this question. He sees Jesus doing these things. uh, He hears about it. So he sends a message to Jesus. Hey, uh, Jesus, are you the Messiah that we're waiting on? Or should we be expecting somebody else? Because John the Baptist, the greatest man born of a woman... Uh, Did not anticipate the Messiah being the way he was. He did not anticipate Jesus being humble. He expected the Messiah was going to come down with a thunderous cloud and everything was going to change from his perspective, from his point of view, but he didn't recognize that the greater things taking place were not from his point of view, but from that of God. That these changes that needed to be made were subtle, they were small, they were signs, little symbols hidden behind the trees to let us know we're in the right direction, we're on the right path. So Jesus says to John, he sends his disciples back and says, tell him what you see, that the blind see, that the deaf hear, that the lame walk. Now Jesus probably knows that John the Baptist has got Isaiah memorized. So he quotes Isaiah to say, go back and look at what I'm doing. It says it in Isaiah. This is how you will know the Messiah has come these things will take place. The problem is John the Baptist was anticipating all of the blind being able to see. All of the deaf being able to walk or hear. All of the lame being able to walk and all of the dead risen. So he didn't think Jesus was the guy quite yet. And Jesus says, don't be offended by me. Recognize what I'm doing. I'm in the car with you. And I'm showing you the signs, these small signs along the way. Because we will get there. We will get to that point, that place, where suffering is no more. Where all the blind see, where all the deaf hear, where all the lame walk, and where all the dead are raised again to eternal life. We will get there. But we're not there yet. That is Advent. Advent. That is the season that we're in, is recognizing that we're sitting in the back seat, that we're frustrated, that we're dealing with pain and suffering, that we don't understand, we don't appreciate. But the good thing is, the person who loves us the most is not oblivious to it, they're sitting in the car with us, suffering with us, helping us to find that way. Look at what I've done. I've cured, I've healed, I've led. These are small symbols beyond the trees to let us know we're on the right path. All we need is just a little patience. I'll be the first in line for it because I won't want to wait behind you. <laughs> it's a scary prayer, but I honestly, when I'm when I, when I honest with myself, I think, shouldn't, shouldn't it be? Shouldn't our prayers be scary? Because we're being honest with ourselves and we're asking God to act in our lives in a way we cannot mistake. If that's not scary, we're not doing it right. We're in the third week of Advent. This week we, we celebrate joy. We light the candle that represents joy in our lives. And uh, something I want you to do, here's your homework assignment this week. Go home and talk to people about the difference between happiness and and joy, because there is a difference. Happiness is fleeting, it's a moment. It's, I'm excited because there's a smokestack. It's okay, that's a happy moment. Joy is knowing that even in the suffering, there's something good coming. And I can make my way through this pain and suffering with the one who's suffered as well because he's taken me something great. So with that, let us pray. Father, we're going to pray today a scary prayer. We're going to pray that you act in our lives in a way that we cannot mistake. That you show us signs that challenge us, that challenge our perception of you, that challenge who we think we are. Help us to be humbled, to recognize you as the maker and creator of all the word that fuels the stars, help us to know that that is you, but that you are here with us. You are not oblivious. You have suffered with us and you lead us. So Lord, today, we pray that you make us patient to be willing to follow you, to trust you, even amongst the suffering, that through you we will find true joy.